Hi, and welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network on the Internet. We are broadcasting from two shipping containers at Roberta's Pizza, 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Craig. And we are the Garden Ladies of Groundworks, Inc., and we design, build, and maintain gardens all over New York and the surrounding area. And with our show, we aim to bring the culture to horticulture. And to that end, this week we continue with our Botanical Latin series, the second part, part two, um, the language, Botanical Latin, the language of plant scientists, botanists, taxonomists, and serious gardeners everywhere. The language that they use to organize and identify the members of the plant kingdom. If only we could do that with people, Alice, right? If we could give... <laughs> well, Facebook is trying to do that. <laughs> That's right. We were talking about that earlier, how Facebook is kind of an... A abri- classification. It's classification. Really. So, um, like all languages, Botanical Latin has had to evolve over the centuries since Linnaeus... Um, and, you know, thousands of new species have been discovered and new genera and have been introduced to science. And it's still evolving. Plants get reclassified or renamed all the time as more information about them is discovered. So just when you think you've learned the botanical name of your favorite vine, it gets renamed into something even harder to pronounce. For example, one of my favorite vines, the fall-blooming clematis, used to be clematis paniculata. Now they've changed it to Clematis Maximusiana, which is probably incorrectly pronounced, but I have a hard time remembering that name. So on the second part of the show, uh, we get into the meat of the subject, how to read and really understand botanical Latin and what it's telling us. And the person who's going to help us with that is our friend and horticultural taxonomist, Scott Appel, calling in from Vieques, Puerto Rico. Hello, Scott. Hello, my friends. Hi, nice Scott. to be here again. Hi, Hi dear. So, uh, for those of you who don't know Scott, he is the green man. He is a garden writer, a horticultural taxonomist, an educator, a lecturer. He's a self-professed uh, culinary horticulturist. He also combines all these disciplines into uh, one with his cooking and, and gardening students. He gets into the history of the diverse herbs and fruits and vegetables used in the kitchen or cultivated in both temperate and tropical gardens. And he does this on the beautiful island of Vieques in Puerto Puerto Rico. So Scott, why do we uh, why don't we get right into it? Tell us how to understand those terms those in crazy those those crazy terms linked in up words <laughs> in in the plant catalogs. Oh, how to understand that? Well, that's a uh, that's a, it's that's a, a big, big topic. A, a, yeah. a big topic to handle. <laughs> how do you understand it? I think by reading them and reading, you know, uh there's lots of books out, number one, on mechanical Latin and what the words mean. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to memorize them, that's silly. No. Um, but the more you look at botanical names, sometimes you find that sometimes the species, they match. Oh, I've seen that word before. Now, what was that? Right. And so it begins to come together more. Um the first thing I need to say, and I always tell my students this, is don't be afraid to pronounce the words, the botanical Latin words. doesn't matter if you butcher them. It's saying them that really matters. Now, how do these plants, now, what, I mean, what do these names mean? I mean, it looks like gibberish and unpronounceable and multisyllabic and, oh, jeepers. Well, they're all descriptive terms. Once again, 
the Latin names are not the spoken language of Latin. Right. It combines Latinized, well, it combines Latin, Latinized Greek, Latinized names of people and places. We're going to cover all of this or as much as we can. It also can combine Latinized ethnic languages um, that the local people call the plant, you know, in their endemic area. Does, is that make Yes, that make yep. sense? perfect sense. Perfect sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so it's all kinds of mishmash stuff. Um, and their, their mistakes have been made, for example. Um, our, lo- our, our tree, what do we call our official tree is something called MAGA. M-A-G-A. There's no English name for it. It's malvaceous. Malvaceous. That tells us it's a hibiscus, an okra cousin. It's a mid-sized tree full of giant red hibiscus-like flowers. It's beautiful. Its scientific name is Montezuma (laughs) speciosus. Really? Montezuma. Okay. Oh, speciosa. Speciosa tells us it's beautiful. But that's what the, the botanical Latin name means, Montezuma. Now, why would a Puerto Rican plant have the name of an Aztec king? Well, there was a mix-up in the plant shipment. And, of course, we're talking back in the 1600s. So, you know, there's, there's mistakes made. So it's got the name Montezuma, even though it's Puerto Rican. Um, I'm sure that makes them happy to hear every time they native tree. <laughs> well... Most folks wouldn't know. Ah, that's true. We'll just leave leave it at that. So let's just look at categories, how plants are named. It'll be very basic because we don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Well, plants can be named from where they're from. I guess that's sort of an obvious statement. And one of the common endings is E-N-S-I-S. That's I-E. Don't forget, every vowel makes a new syllable. I-E-N-S-I-S, E-N-S-I-S. Mm-hmm. It can also be I-C-U-M or I-C-A, and we'll, we'll look at some. For example, if something has the species name of Chinensis, it tells mm-hmm. you it's from China. Right. But not only just China, something could be called, have a species name of Hoopahensis, meaning from the province of, of Hoopa. In China, it can be very specific. Or Pekinensis, mm. meaning from Peking. Of course, it's Beijing now. But Pekinensis, just like that little lap dog from the Forbidden City, is the Pekinese. Right. Well, right. Pekinensis. Uh-huh. Um, or it can, you can have Japonicum from Japan. Mm-hmm. Also, Nipponicum also means from, from Japan. Uh, but, you know, uh, Oleo Europia. Uh, the olive tells you it's from Europe. You can have Graecum. In fact, Finiculum Graecum is. See, I can know the I know the name, the Latin names, but I can't think. Of fennel, fennel. Common, yeah. No, no, no. Fenugreek. No. Uh, uh, Fenugreek tells you. Uh huh. It means Greek hay. Oh. In botanical Latin. The hay of Greece, because it was used, it used to be used as a threshing herb. You need to put it on the floors, and you walked on it before you know people had vacuums and you know were tidy. Um, so, other than location, what are some other categories? 
Commonwealth. It could be named after people. Uh-huh. Um, for example, well, there's millions and millions. For example, Clivia. Um, you know that house plant, don't you? Yes, yes. right. Okay. Well, named after a man named Mr. Clive. In fact, if you're from Great Britain, you would say Clivia. Clivia, uh, right. Because that's just the way that, you know, it's pronounced. Or fuchsia. That's named right. After, named after Mr. Fuchs. That's F-U-C-H-S, German fellow, German doctor. Uh, Camellia, named after Mr. Camille. Uh, magnolia, you know, magnolia grandiflora, grandiflora, large flowered right. magnolia, named after Monsieur Magnol. Um, Even Bougainvillea, Bougainvillea after Monsieur Bougainville. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you never, of course, name a plant after yourself. We mentioned in our last program, Linnaeus had a plant named after him, the little twin flower, Linnaea, the genus Linnaea. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an old movie with Elaine May, and Elaine May was the director, and she starred in it, you know, the comedian, with Walter Matthau. And Walter Matthau was a money-hungry grubber, and Elaine May was a millionaireess and a real space cadet, or her character was. And she studied ferns. So she was actually a pterodologist. That's P-T-E-R-O-ologist. Tarot, meaning winged, like pterodactyl. She studied ferns. And Walter Marathal's character asks her once, oh, they're out for a drink or something. I'm never even sure anymore. What would you like to do with your life, he says. Well, she says, I'd like to find a brand new kind of fern and then name it after myself. <laughs> well, you, you never no. name plants after yourself. No, it's that's really, not done. That's no. not done. It's considered gauche. Right. You name plants after your fellow scientists. So Darwin has a frog named after him. <laughs> the little needle-nosed frog, and the species is Darwinii, but someone named it after him. He didn't name it himself. And uh, the frog lives, whew, I think it might be Australia. I actually forget. I didn't think I'd be talking about that. Um, <laughs> so people's names and um, uh, and and think. people have to apply, right, Scott? I mean, you can't just if you let's say you are uh, you're a botanist or a taxonomist or or someone going out there um, looking for new uh, species. Um, how how is it? Um, how is the process of you know getting something named? First, you have to make sure that it is truly a new thing, right? And then, do well, you have the as a discoverer, you have the right to name it what you wish? How does that work? Yes, no, you you do have the right, okay. but you have to apply. Okay. And I forget the organization's name. There is an international taxonomic organization okay. that meets every six years in Helsinki, Finland, uh, to discuss plant names. And okay. they are the people that change the names. And I think you and I will, or the three of us, will talk about that later on. Yeah. Um, because it's quite complex. And the names I grew up with... The scientific names I learned in college or at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens when I was, you know, 16, they're different now. Yes, yes. So it's a constantly... Changing, right. Changing uh, science. Right. And so, of course, I, you know, I love it. I love, you know, I love a challenge. So I'm not complaining, but you need to be on your toes. 
But there's also there's also kind of categories of how things grow, whether they're prostate, prostrate, or upright, upright. Right? Is that right, Scott? Well, well, uh, yes. You can be named. You can use a name to describe where a plant grows, and that tells us, as gardeners, mm-hmm. um, really how to take care of it. For example, obviously, if I said Mincea aquatica you would know I'm talking about water lilies. Mm-hmm. Aquatica, that's sort of an obvious uh, name. Nymphaea, named after the water nymphs in Greek mythology. Now, with a name like Aquatica, you're not going to put it in the cactus garden. That's a little bit obvious. But, you know, words like palustrous or pol- uh, tells you it's from the swamp. Mm-hmm. Montana mm-hmm. tells you it's from the mountains. Alpinum tells you it's from the alpine regions, uh, desertus, from the deserts. It tells you, or you can, it gives you a clue, I guess, about the culture of the plant. Um, but physical descriptions, columnaris being tall and columnar, repens being flat, prostratus being flat against the ground, pendulum the hanging, um, right. Uh, it's all it's all about the physical description. So the, all these categories, and we've just mentioned what four or five, are just about the physical description of the plant. Well, here's another one. What about the native language or the language of the quote unquote the indigenous population? Mm-hmm. If I said Sequoia sempervirens, well, you know Sequoia, of course, the giant redwoods. Um, well, sequoia isn't a Latin word. Sempervirens means always green, so, well, we know it's always green, so it's, it's a conifer. But sequoia is the Native American, and a, I can't tell you what tribe, the Western Native American word for that particular tree. So they took that word and they used it in the Latin name. Okay. Um, if I said, Matahot esculenta, well, of course, you may not know what that is. Esculenta is like the word succulent, meaning succulently mm-hmm. edible. Manihot is the um, Amazonian word for the plant we would call tapioca. Here in, here in Puerto Rico, we call yuca, Y-U-C-A. Mm. Uh, or it could be uh, cassava. That's another common name. But manihot isn't Latin. It's South American. Right. Uh, there's another plant we grow here. But it's, it's a regional. Right. Uh, of course, you wouldn't know what that is. And there's no common name. Well, in Spanish, it would be achiote or anato. It's used as a, as a food dye. Sometimes, oh, in English, sometimes it's called lipstick shrub. Hmm. Because the color of the pigment from the seeds is used in ladies' lipsticks to make it red. Mm-hmm. It also dyes the wax on gouda cheese. It also <laughs> colors the cheese itself to give it that sort of orangey-yellow kind of color. But bixa, that's B-I-X-A, it's a really unusual word, is another South American native word. It's the word for the tree. So the taxonomists, or Linnaeus, whoever named it, took the word from the natives and made that into its scientific name. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So local languages, languages uh, that can play a, a, a role as well. Okay. But, but then again, there's also color. Right, anemone, as in, as in uh, the Greek, the, the red color, right? As in, oh God. Um, Is that a color, yeah. a Greek word for red? Yes, yes it is. No, I don't know. It is. I'm looking it up right now, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, so it's the genus name plus the species name, right? The, it, it's a two-part series, or, or two-part name, two-part order, right? Yes, always genus and then species. Most animals and plants just have those two names. It's so specific. You know, if I said my name is Scott Appel, well, there could be other Scott Appels in the world, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But with a plant. It has two names, and there's only one plant. Uh, there's only one example. Right. Well, I mean, there's only one example of you, too, Scott. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there really is <laughs> only one Scott of hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But, you know, you get the picture. So it's really specific. So I, if I said, you know, if, back to the first program, Sansevieria trifasciata, if the woman had said that to me when she was asking me about her article... She wouldn't have. She wouldn't have had to say anything else. I would have known precisely. Right, but because she said mother-in-law's tongue, it could be there's there's several of those commonly named plants. Right, of course. And if I was in Brazil, it would be Espado de São Paulo. Right, Saint Paul's sword. Right. So, where where does that leave me? Right, right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Impaled verbally. Exactly. So, you know, the names help us communicate, and they make it really clear. Well, b- just back to anemone, because I just uh, finished looking it up. It was It's the color of Adonis's blood. Oh. That's the anemone. I knew it was a Greek, but I couldn't remember which. Uh, We've, the Greeks have starred on quite a few of our shows. Yeah. Um, they're fond of spilling blood and... and Narcissus, and, crocus. And things well, springing yes, from the ground. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Yes, and wealth and flowers come for them to look at hyacinth. Yeah. When he was killed, hyacinth sprang from his blood. Right. Uh, the Greeks and mythology really play up uh, a great deal in, in botany. Laia that's an orchid. Um, um, who else? Well, it, uh, well, look at Medusa and uh, her sister... Uh, Euterpe, Euterpe, Medusa had snakes for hair. Right. Mm-hmm. We all did that and turned people to stone. Well, she had a sister. Her name is Euterpe. And she was covered with spines. And there's a genus of water lilies from India that are with that genus name because they're covered with spines. Uh, so it's you. It's, the other sister, wait, the other what, sister is, what was is her name? Spanosh. What was her name with the spines? I think Euterpe. U- Euterpe. Euterpe. Okay. So that's a plant descriptive. That's the, that, that is often a species name. Is that right? Meaning spine. Well, no. She was covered with spines. A lot of it is illusion as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see what else. Um, so, okay, here's my question to you then, because we've just thrown out tons of examples, and we do have to take a break, but before we go to the break, 
Scott, how did Linnaeus gather all of these terms and and create the classification? You know, I mean, was he speaking with Indians in North America? Was he like, <laughs> there was no internet. Like, how did he, how did all of these words um, uh, of course, you know, plants are discovered all throughout different time periods. So um, I, I know, obviously, that where they're found and how they get named, as we were talking about earlier, has something to do with it. But it's interesting that, that Linnaeus had the foresight to kind of create this classification system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he made it all up. He really went by the seat of his pants, so to speak, and made the system using Latin. Yeah. Um, no, he didn't go to, to the States. Right, of course, right, yeah. right. Uh, uh, he, he had friends that did. Don't forget all the, you know, this is yeah, the hunters, for, pl- right. for plant exploration, you know, Bartram and oh, Collins, you know, Bartram is a plant named after him. Yeah. Uh, Collins has Collinsonia named after him. Um, he had lots of friends by mail. Right. And, of course, this is going, you know, by ship, uh-huh. obviously, uh-huh. Um, to talk with. But he did this all by himself, and that's part of the, I don't know if ire is the right word. That's the, people were angry, I think, because he was so pushy and did, did all this. Of course, to us, you know, he was really had foresight and it was clever. But at that time, I think he'd made a lot of waves. Yeah, I'm sure people were, were um, hesitant to jump on the bandwagon with him, you know, because who... Oh, absolutely. Because who was decades. he to to kind of create the system, you know? Yes, yes, it took decades right. for people to say, oh, his simple sexual system, I understand that, and right. I agree. Right. But before that, uh-uh, oh no, it was really... With bad news. Right. Well, we have to take a break. Hold on the line. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. We're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. That was a song called Plant Language. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy music for a heavy topic. Yeah, we're, exactly. We're doing some heavy lifting today with Scott. Um, this is a big, big topic, um, botanical Latin, and we're trying to get um, some some clarity and some help for all of us novices out there who don't uh, read it and, and speak it. <laughs> and who just, you know, are, are lazy and want to use the common names. But as we were talking about in our first uh, 
recording, which was last week, um, you can't just use, you know, the big fuzzy red plant because that is a name for several that's an identifying name for several kinds of plants. So you really do need to learn these Latin names because it describes where the plant came from and how it grows because most of this classification is really based on the sexual flowers and the organs and, uh, and lineage of these plants. And as we were saying earlier, it evolves. It is evolving and, and um, uh, you know, as more information um comes to us. I mean, let's remember that when when Linnaeus and his contemporaries were identifying these plants, um, especially ones that were brought from abroad, they were they were looking at plants sort of fixed in time. They were sometimes dealing with pressed plants. They only saw a, the plant in at a certain point in its life cycle. Um, they weren't necessarily seeing it as it changed or seeing its flower or even. seeing its flower. They might have you know they they might have it might have been picked when it wasn't in flower. Right. You know, or there are some plants that look very different in the juvenile stage than they do in a mature stage and that could have added to the confusion but now we have the beauty of DNA. Yeah um, Scott I want to talk about this with you because I am sure you know a lot more about this. I just was reading a little bit um, about Q and the herbarium at, at Q at the Royal Botanic Garden in England. And that is that herbarium is comprised of about 7 million specimens, which is 98% of the world's um, plant species, or se- I'm sorry, 70, 75% of the world's plant species. And there are still uh, 15 to 20% of species that are not discovered. And that, that comes to a... On average, it's about 2,000 plants are discovered, new plants each year. So they are using DNA now to reclassify Mm -hmm. Linnaeus's order, so to speak. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, let me tell you two stories, if I may. Please. Um, We all, if I said the word seaweed, of course, we all know, you know, basically what a seaweed is. And, you know, if we eat sushi or sashimi, of course we eat them. And we've all learned in biology or, um, or uh, botany class, in, you know, junior high school or college or wherever, that, you know, seaweeds are really primitive plants and they evolved in the sea. And, yes, they have chlorophyll, and then eventually they moved on to land and evolved into all the kinds of plants we have today. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure that story sounds familiar to you. Right. Well, after the advent of the electron microscope, things changed. Winds up, and of course, there's brown algae, green algae, red algae. Uh-huh. Um, I think there's three kinds. I'm not, there might be a, uh, another one. Anyway, winds up, there are only some of them. Uh, are from the sea originally, and that the others were from plants that moved back into the ocean and devolved into seaweeds. Oh, okay. So you you look at seaweeds, they're not all the same anymore. Nobody knew that, you know, 20 years ago. But it's thanks to the research, you know, and our technology improving that that was discovered. Yeah, it's... 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's it's just amazing that that you know this is DNA CSI kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that oh, has it, totally it blew turned everybody away. Exactly. Now here's another story, and this is this is a goodie. In the last handful of years, now I mentioned I'm not really sure good uh, show the Malvasii, the hibiscus family. Uh-huh. It has it has okra as a member, hibiscus, abutilon, I'm sure you know that plant. Right. Okra, you know. So it's a whole family, the Malvasi. Well, only recently, in the last handful of years, experts with better microscopes and DNA uh, the DNA processing where you get the graphs, if right. you know what I mean, of the genome. The sequencing of the genomes, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh-huh. Well, discovered there's another plant family, and if I said Stuculiaceae, well, you may not really know what that is, but Theobroma, the genus, is cocoa. So there's another plant family, Stuculiaceae. There's another plant family, the Bombaceae. Once again, you may not know what that is, but if I said Baobab, the Baobab tree, yeah, yeah. seen that in Africa, you know, mm-hmm. in the nature series, and there's a third family, which escapes my mind. Okay, so these are three huge families. All of a sudden, everything is recategorized, and now cocoa is a cousin of hibiscus, and baobab is a cousin of hibiscus, all because of their genetics. So their plant families have been 86, yeah, and then now now they're all under the auspices of the Malvaceae. That's a major change. Yeah, yeah, it is. I was also reading peonies were once thought to belong to the buttercup family, but now through DNA sequencing, it's it's the peony is realized to be a closer uh, relative to the saxifragi family. Of which is huh. which is a huge species, Saxifragi, of three hundred species, and these are um, plants that are native to temperate um, subarctic and alpine areas. And you, you know, I think the most famous one is the strawberry plant. Yeah, it's thick, fleshy leaves. But but peonies and strawberries, you know, you would never think, you know, that they were related. Um, they also changed the name. I think of uh, one of the most common and probably detested of plants, the chrysanthemum, right? The mums? Oh, uh, those have been going through changes for years. Yeah, yeah, and they got an years. atrocious all name now. All the daisies, all the <laughs> chrysanthemums, that whole group. It's changed. You know, every, every year, it's another genus name you have to memorize. Yeah, and it's frustrating as a person, if you do want to take the effort to learn the botanical name so that you, when you are ordering something, you, you know, even especially mail order, you want to know what it is. You know, you want to know what you're ordering and make sure that, you know, you mm-hmm. get what you want. And then they change it and you can't even find it mm-hmm. in in the catalog. You're looking under CH, you know, for chrysanthemums and it's not there anymore at all. Right. right. I know. I, I, I this, know. This one was it's interesting to me, too. There, there was this unclassified... Um, species of plants, and they actually just referred to them as puffballs. It was a very ill-defined group because they didn't know where to put them. But now, with DNA sequencing, they've determined that it's a relative of the agraric family, which means it's actually a mushroom and a toadstool. Which, agaric, uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. I thought that was really interesting that, you know, here was something that was 
without a name, without, you know, it was just kind of floating around there by itself. And now all of a sudden, hey, you do belong to a family, you poor orphan. (laughs) (laughs) So even with DNA, everybody's accepted. Everybody's accepted. Everybody into the pool. <laughs> yes, yes. No, no longer the botanical red-haired stepchild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, no. So anything Sorry. else, Scott, that you want to add with regard to this topic? I know we only have, you know, a few minutes left, but... Um, well, of course. Well, I can keep jabbering away. You know me. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing, uh, we didn't really... Well, you mentioned anemone as far as flower color, um, but plants are often named... For the color of their flowers, anemone was uh, one example. But, you know, of course, we know Cornus alba. Right. The, you know, the... Uh, Elegantissima, alba, right. Alba means white. Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's great. But then again, there's Nivius. That means snow white. Right. There's, there's Candidum, meaning virginally white, like Lilium Candidum, the Madonna lily. You know, Voltaire's play, uh, Candide, you know, Bernstein made it, made, made it into a musical. Yes. Well, he was called Candide because he was so really, you know, virginally pure. But it's uh, um, lactious, milk white. Right. It, just, it goes on and on. It's, you know, shades of color. Oh, yeah. And weren't a lot of the colors based on ancient herbals and, and like dye plants? The original and, and the and the colors that we, you know, have today, you know, the variety of color that we're used to, you know, four or five hundred years ago, they had a much they had much more limited palettes and what they, you know, um, could could create and could see um, in their immediate surroundings. So, well, is that why is that why they sometimes they have the third descriptive term, you know, elegantissima, like it's elegant, you know, cornus alba yes, elegantissima. It's more than elegant. Isima, like in Italian, isimo, means especially elegant. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so it's more. It's not just elegant. It's like really elegant. Oh, so when we we actually use that elegantissima a lot, I think yeah. we're going to say that to our clients. Now this one's especially elegant. <laughs> like no, in wh- Italian, you go bellissimo. Bellissimo. Yeah. Now what about you know? spectabilis? That's a word. You know, that's often a word. Does that mean like spectacular or what is spectabilis? What's the origin of that? Hmm, you know, I don't know. I would have to look that up. Okay. And in fact, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I have to actually say, um, we all have books, I think, right in front of us. Carmen is looking at this great book um, that was just put out. It's the fourth edition, actually, um, called Botanical Latin. Timber Press puts it out. And William Stern is the S-T-A-R-N, is the author. And it's a it's a invaluable resource. And I'm looking at a little kind of small coffee table book called Gardener's Latin um, by Bill oh, Neal. Actually, um, Scott... It does mean spectacular. Yeah, that's what I figured. Scott actually turned me on to this book probably 15 years ago when he taught this Latin class at the Hort Society of New York. Gardener's Latin by Bill Neal and Barbara Damroche actually did the introduction. Oh, Barbara's a great oh. writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I've got that here. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's really fun to, to pay attention to 
what these words mean in your in your favorite plant so that it helps you understand the plant's um, needs visual history yeah, yeah. its needs its its heritage where it comes from you can really learn so much more and be much more precise in your um, articulation about your plants if you mm-hmm. learn this if you learn this Latin instead of saying the fuzzy wuzzy plant that had a nice big red leaf or you can say plantus unknownus yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and before, before we before we ring off don't forget that the names do mean something when you put them together. And here's a really classic example and one of my favorites. And at this time, we can go over more because I think it's really fun. You know, our Native American tulip tree. Right. Uh, it was during Linnaeus' time, it was all the rage throughout Europe. And Bartram sent tons of seedlings to his garden pals in England and France. This, uh, the genus and species is Liriodendron tulipifera. Well, it's a member of the Magnoliaceae, so it tells you it's a magnolia cousin. But Liriodendron, Lirio is lily in Latinized Greek. Dendron is tree. Right. Ifera means to have or to bear. And tulipa, that's T-U-L-I-P-I, um, for the genus tulip. So it's the lily tree that bears tulips. Right. That's gorgeous. <laughs> And I think it's gorgeous, and you're right, it's gorgeous, and when you see a tulip tree in bloom, you couldn't have picked a better name. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly as it is, so to speak. <laughs> and some of, the, some of the people that are naming plants now should um, really go back to Linnaeus, and he, you know, he was, I bet Bartram was able to sell a lot of those because the name told them a lot. It was a good selling point. We find sometimes, mm-hmm. Scott, that the names that some of these taxonomists or botanists come up with are so hard to pronounce and so um, so unappealing, you know, that you... Well, you know, uh, Maximovichiana, which you said you couldn't pronounce. Yeah. That, that, uh, that was, he was Russian royalty, Mr. Maximovich. Maximovich, okay. <laughs> like, I still like Paniculata better. <laughs> well, to me, I mean, it's a better name. But there's a Betula, meaning Birch, uh, Maximovichiana, right. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 yes, no, sometimes they're a tongue full. But, uh, well, who would want to buy a plant called Horridus fatus <laughs> or with the description foo, you know, as in P H U? Like, yeah. th- those are not, those are not <laughs> things that you would want to purchase, right? Horridus fatus. This is my Horridus fatus. <laughs> Let well, me also the plants we discussed in the last program, the mushroom and the vine. <laughs> yes, right, right. Let's plant that in the cloister, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Let me also just end that you know when kids have their spelling bee, you know, in school, their sixth grade, seventh grade spelling mm-hmm. bee. If you if you've ever seen that movie too, um, uh, the documentary. Oh yeah, I heard of it. Uh-huh. It's amazing how many of these spelling bee words are actually plant, plant na- names. Really? Yeah. Um, pay attention because it's it's very important, and uh, I think it's a very good indicator of um, education levels and uh, word history, and you know origins and it's it's like we were talking about earlier it's a very important topic um that i think needs to be paid attention to so me too 
Absolutely. On that note, thank you, Scott, for being our guest again and demystifying some of our Latin. And uh, we, of course, had a good laugh with you, as always. Well, and you're more than welcome. Hopefully it wasn't re-mystifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get people to open up some books. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that would be nice. <laughs> well, very good. Okay, thanks for joining us. You've been oh, listening you, to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering. Thanks to our sponsor. Thanks to Roberta's Pizza. Check us out on Facebook and uh, on Twitter. Groundworks Gardens, We Dig Plants. Salve. Happy gardening. <laughs>